0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Yeah, it is the Danny Parking Show. CBS Sports Radio, radio.com Sports. Saints trying to grind out a win over the Cowboys at home without scoring a touchdown, like Donald Wood said in the update. Up 12 10, under four minutes left. Alvin Kamara big run for a first down on third down. So Dallas has all three timeouts, or at least they did. Not sure why we're in commercial now. They might have used one. But uh, we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Millions of Americans finance the home of their dream with their help. They can help you too. Rocket Mortgage, push button, get mortgage. 855 212 for CBS. Is the telephone number talking biggest thing that you saw in week four of the NFL season. Brad Hopkins was a two-time pro bowler played for the Titans and Oilers was in the Super Bowl uh, for the Titans when they lost to Kurt Warner uh, back in the day. So he'll join us in 35 minutes. He's a commentator over on Sirius NFL radio, but there is something that has been a Certainly majority, if not consensus opinion heading into this season that I think it's time to revisit. And that is not to say that the majority slash consensus opinion was wrong up until this point. I myself agreed with the majority and or consensus opinion. And that opinion is that Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in football. I think it is safe to say that that was an overwhelmingly majority-held opinion. Aaron Donald has made the last five Pro Bowls. Aaron Donald has been first-team All-Pro the last four years. Aaron Donald has been the defensive player of the year back-to-back years. Aaron Donald led the league in sacks last season. And he did all of this as an interior defensive lineman. That is amazing. I think if we would pull 100 NFL people, who is the best defensive player in football coming into this year, my guess is 70% would have said Aaron Donald, and then the other 30% would have been sprinkled among a couple of other players. And the reason why I always felt that Aaron Donald was the best defensive player in football was because the amount of pressure... That he was able to generate on the quarterback from an interior defensive lineman was unparalleled in the modern game. We've obviously seen it before. You know, we've seen guys like Warren Sapp be able to terrorize the quarterback as a defensive tackle, but it's rare. And to lead the league in sacks, not coming off the edge, is unprecedented. The number of pressures pro football focus ranked said he had the most pressures ever for a defensive tackle last year. It was arguably the greatest season a defensive tackle had ever had, and he was doing it to back up being defensive player of the year in 2017. But through four games. Khalil Mack has been better. And. I've watched every snap of the Bears. I have not watched every snap of the Rams, but I've watched a lot. I watched their uh, the Sunday night game. I watched the game against Carolina. I watched some of the game today against Tampa. I've seen a lot of the Rams, but admittedly not every snap. I do afternoons here in Chicago, so that's why I've seen literally every snap of Khalil Mack. But I think Khalil Mack is playing perfect defensive football. He leads the league in pressures. He seems to have taken his game to another level. He's got... He's always going for the ball. He sacks the football, and he doesn't sack the quarterback. He is setting the edge in spectacular fashion, so he's being dominant against the run as well as the pass. There was a play today where the Vikings double-teamed Khalil Mack with a tackle and a guard. It wasn't a tight end chipping. It wasn't a, uh, you know, it wasn't a running back. It wasn't anything like that. It was, we are going to put our two offensive linemen on you, and we are going to hopefully disrupt what you're doing. And he still got to the quarterback and got a half a sack. He had a sack and a half today and another forced fumble. That is his fourth forced fumble of the season. He has four and a half sacks through four games. So he's averaging more than a sack a game and a forced fumble a game. Requiring two, three offensive linemen to block him at all times. The few times that there have been weird assignments and like he's been left alone with the tight ends, he just eats them for lunch. He destroys them. And I'm curious if people believe that conversation is too much too soon because my stance on Khalil Mack, because when Khalil Mack got traded to the Bears, I had a celebration. Like, I lost my damn mind. I covered the Chiefs in the AFC West. I knew how good Khalil Mack was. Khalil Mack's been first-team All-Pro at two different positions, at outside linebacker and D-end. He is versatile. There's nothing he cannot do on the football field. By the way, Cowboys forced a punt from around midfield for the Saints. They used all of their timeouts on defense ball at their own 14 yard line with a minute 38 left down 12 10 and Dak Prescott just took a sack back inside his own five yard line so Cowboys just need to get in field goal range but they are basically now going to need to go the length of the field with 80 some seconds left and no timeouts and it looks like they just had an offensive lineman get hurt on the play as well so we'll update you on Sunday night football as that comes to an end but To me, like, before today, saying Khalil Mack is the second best defensive player in football to Aaron Donald was not in any way a slight to Khalil Mack. Some Bears fans and listeners and followers that I have always took it that way when I would say, wow, the Bears have the second best defensive player in football. They say, no, we have the first. I'm like, well, there's a lot of guys who generate pressure off the edge, you know? Chandler Jones is an amazing edge player, right? Von Miller is an amazing edge player. There's lots of guys who can come up. Bradley Chubb, a great prospect as an edge player. There's lots of guys who teams around the league can say this guy's all right. Vic Beasley is a great edge rusher, Um Daniil Hunter is a great edge. There are, there's so many guys that you could go to. There are just fewer of them. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't plenty, right? You could say that uh, Kenny Clark for the Packers, Akeem Hicks for the Bears, Trotter for the Eagles. Uh, there, there are Chris Jones for the Chiefs. There are good interior defensive linemen, but the ca- I thought the gap between Aaron Donald and next best at his position was not as wide as the gap from Khalil Mack and the next best at his position. But the level of which Khalil Mack is playing football right now, it garners up emotions and feelings and comps to guys like Reggie White, Lawrence Taylor. They comped him to Richard Dent today on CBS with Jim Nance and Tony Romo. And Richard Dent is in the Hall of Fame, and it honestly felt like an insult to Khalil Mack. We are talking about a defensive player who is so, so, so dominant and honestly versatile that I don't know if you can play defensive football better than him. And Aaron Donald is breathtaking, again. But I'm curious if you think we are able to open up the conversation on best defensive player in football being a title that's up for grabs. Eight five five two one two four two two seven 4227 is the number. Because coming into this year, I said it wasn't. I said it was Aaron Donald and everybody else with Khalil Mack at the front of Tier 2 because there had been no other interior defensive lineman who d- does what Aaron Donald does. There's a legitimate argument that Aaron Donald is the best defensive tackle in the history of the sport. Khalil Mack is great, but he's not better than Lawrence Taylor all-time. He's not better than Reggie White all-time. Right. Like Khalil Mack's great. He's a Hall of Famer. He is an amazing football player that I cannot believe the Raiders traded. But There is a legitimate argument that Aaron Donald is the best defensive tackle of all time. Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt are probably the two best defensive players of the last 15 years. And one passed the baton right to the other. But I'm just, I've watched every snap of Khalil Mack and I don't know that you could play better football. He also has drawn probably three or four holding penalties that have been called. And this is no joke. There's probably been eight to ten times when Khalil Mack could have drawn a holding penalty and it wasn't called. And I'm not even being a homer here because I'm telling you straight up. No one would say, oh, wow, Khalil Mack, second or third best defensive player. What a homer from Chicago, right? Everybody agrees with that. That's why the Raiders got panned for that trade. That's why it's the most significant defensive transaction in NFL history. And that, again, that's not being a homer or hyperbole. That is fact. No one had ever signed a bigger defensive contract than Khalil Mack, and no one has ever traded more in terms of draft capital for a defensive player than the Bears gave up for Khalil Mack, and they did both of it, the draft capital and the money, for one player. And he's living up to it in spades, and he's making everyone around him better. He's making Akeem Hicks better. Akeem Hicks wasn't even out there today. He's making second- and third-string defensive linemen better. He's made Eddie Goldman a Pro Bowl-caliber player. He's made Leonard Floyd live up to his potential as a first-round pick. Danny Trevathan, Roquan Smith, he's been amazing. But that title has always been elusive for him, and I don't think it should be anymore. I think that title for best defensive player in football is officially up for grabs, and I think it's Khalil Max to claim. And a couple more games like this on the national stage, I don't know anyone that's going to be able to really de- deny that that is the exact thing that he is, that that's what we're watching, that we're watching perfect defensive football. Cowboys are in Hail Mary mode from inside their own 20 yard line, by the way. Third and 20, 17 seconds left. Cowboys trailing the Saints 12 to 10. 855 Is there a changing of the guard taking place here? Is Khalil Mack now the best defensive player in football? 855-212-4227. We'll hear from you on that, plus update the ending of Cowboys and Saints and a player who seems to be going in the wrong direction. That's all coming up. The Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkin Show. And I appreciate you listening to the Danny Parkin Show on CBS Sports Radio, where our... Toll-free line is 855-212-4227. Brought to you by GEICO. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Cowboys lose to the Saints. 12-10 the final score. Saints don't score a touchdown, win the game. Hail Mary comes up short, doesn't make the end zone. Saints brought pressure. On the Hail Mary to make Dak Prescott get rid of the ball early. Doesn't get to the end zone. And the Saints win at home over the Cowboys. We'll talk more about Dak Prescott in just a little bit. There's that report today that uh, Cowboys are not willing to pay Dak what he wants. And that they are far apart. I can't say I blame him. That's a a tough negotiation. That's a tough spot to be in. Because they are making an argument that basically says, because you're the quarterback of the Cowboys, you can make more money from endorsements than if you were the quarterback of the Broncos or the Ravens or the Cardinals or the Bengals or whomever. And so, therefore... Your earnings are greater. Therefore, we shouldn't have to pay you as much. And Dak Prescott's response is basically, so? That's your problem. Not mine. If you can cash in on all that popularity off your team, why can't I cash in on all that popularity for being the quarterback of your team? And Dak Prescott is, of course, absolutely right. But problem is Dak Prescott is not that good no he's not that bad but Dak Prescott to me is the definition of average Dak Prescott has been remarkably consistent throughout his NFL career his best attribute has been his durability and availability he hasn't missed a game and in this league at that position that matters but he's never thrown for less than 3,300 yards and he's never thrown for more than 3,900 yards so three full seasons 133 and change 136 and change 138 and change and not in that order He's never had more than 23 touchdowns in a season, never had less than 22. Rushing the ball, it's been a similar thing. He is just been, He's been the same guy every year. It's been a couple hundred rushing yards per season. 282, 357, 305, with ironically, six rushing touchdowns every year. So he's the same guy. He's 3,700 passing yards. 22 touchdowns, another 350 yards on the ground with another six touchdowns. That's solid. But the problem is he's got the best offensive line in the game, and he's got one of the three best running backs in the game. And in the season where he won 12 games, he had Des Bryant, and now he's got Amari Cooper, and he's got Kellen Moore. Now, so far this year, Dak has been he's he's pacing for better numbers than that with Kellen moore as his offensive coordinator he's pacing for an uptick this season he you know had 9 touchdowns coming into tonight's game still has 9 Zeke got the touchdown tonight completing 75% of his passes like D- dak has been good this year but one of his games where he had four touchdowns was against the Giants. Then he had three touchdowns against Washington. Then he had two touchdowns against Miami. He's played three of the four or five worst teams in the NFL in his first three games. And then tonight he gets the Saints on the road. And Zeke gets the touchdown. And he's just, you know, average. Not very successful. To say the least. Ten points on the road in the on the dome. So I've always thought that Dak Prescott was average, but in a great situation. The problem is average gets paid in the NFL because it's a devil you know versus the devil you don't know type of thing. If you're Dallas and you've got one of the best front sevens in the game and you've got one of the best offensive lines in the game and you've got a great running back wide receiver combo, and we know that running backs primes are not that long in Zeke and Amari Cooper. You really interested in changing quarterbacks after this season? Hell no. That would be ridiculous. So you can't lose Dak Prescott. Do you want to franchise tag, Dak Prescott? Maybe. But you've got other contracts you got to work out. You know, you paid Zeke. You still got to pay Amari Cooper got to pay Jones the cornerback at some point. Maybe most people in Dallas think that they will, but they've got, they got a complicated situation on their hands. And if it's me, I'm trying to be judicious with Dak Prescott, because I think a lot of quarterbacks could be successful in that situation in Dallas. Now, again, It takes a lot of guts, though, to change the quarterback because we know that there's growing pains with learning a new system, right? If Aaron Rodgers is having growing pains learning Matt LaFleur's system, there's going to be growing pains for anyone coming in and learning Kellen Moore and uh, Jason Garrett's system. Though I think Jason Garrett's system is basically like a coloring book and it's paint by numbers. That dude is. Talk about just, whew. That's a great job for job security. Coach of the Cowboys, no one gives you any credit because Jerry Jones wants all of the credit because he doesn't want Jimmy Johnson 2.0. So here's a few million bucks and lifetime job security and an awesome roster. That's a good gig if you can get it, Jason Garrett. But that's the rock and the hard place situation that Dallas finds themselves in. They have a quarterback who's rich because he's their quarterback. And he's played well enough to get paid. And when you get paid in this NFL, you get huge money. Jared Goff got 100 plus million. Carson Wentz got 100 plus million. Russell Wilson got 100 plus million. If I'm Dak Prescott's agent, I can come up with scenarios where my guy favors uh, co- comparably and well, favorably, excuse me, compares favorably to each of those guys. He's been more durable than Carson Wentz. He's been more consistent than Jared Goff. So if I'm Dak Prescott's agent, I say, okay, you're not going to give me Russell Wilson's money? That's cool. Just, you know, give me more than Carson Wentz, and we'll be happy. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God. Now I'm committed to him for six years and $130 million. Like, it can get real expensive real quick. And Dak Prescott's probably asking for more than Russell Wilson. So that's where it gets complicated if you're Dallas. But to me, Dak Prescott's always been just a guy. And if you put him in Cincinnati, he'd be Andy Dalton. Situation is so important in the NFL. And Dak Prescott, he finally faces a good team in a tough spot. You got a desperate team at home in the Superdome on national TV as a home dog, and you can't score more than 10 points on the road. He's been stat padding this year against Washington, Miami, and the Giants. Tough week, though, for all you out there in your survivor pools. My God. It took, what, four weeks for us to get to Bloody Sunday in survivor pools? I'm in one where... It was uh there let me see, there were 133 plus 129, that's 250, two, There were two hundred and sixty-two people and a hundred and thirty-three of them were eliminated this week. I mean, Colts going down, Rams going down. This was a this was a tough, tough, tough survivor week. I've been on Team Fade the Char uh Team Fade the uh Dolphins. So, I have two entries of these 133 that are left in this big money survivor pool and I was doubling up against the Dolphins this week. I wasn't willing to go contrarian when there's a double digit plus touchdown favorite on the board and everything else is single digits. Like I'm not I'm not going contrarian there, but tough week for all you out there in survivor pools. I hope you uh, survived bloody Sunday. Coming up next, we go around the NFL with Brad Hopkins. He is a former tackle for the Oilers and Titans. Does great work over at Sirius NFL radio. We'll get his expert opinion coming up. This is the Danny Parkin show. Joining me now on the Danny Parkin show. Welcome back in at CBS sports radio, Sirius 206 of the radio.com app. Excited to talk to this guy. I've heard him on the NFL channel over at Sirius, former tackle for the Oilers and Titans, former pro bowler played in a Super Bowl. Brad Hopkins with us on the show, Brad, thanks so much for the time tonight. How you doing? Danny, it's good to be on with you. What was the biggest thing that stood out to you in week four so far?
1: The number of home teams that lost. Um, Usually that's an advantage that a lot of guys have, but when you're not playing well at home, that that can actually be more difficult than being on the road, Danny. You know, when you hear, like in the case of the Falcons titans game, uh, the home crowd booing you at half, I mean, that's pressure. That's pressure because you're not meeting expectations, especially when you look at the talent on that roster, so... Not living up to expectation, having a fan base boo you, that's got to be difficult to deal with. But that's one of the things that struck me the most was the fact that there really wasn't the idea of home field advantage for a lot of squads in there.
0: You know, that's really interesting. I host afternoons in Chicago and after the opener of the season, uh, Bears and Packers, we had Eddie Jackson on. their all pro safety the next day. And he got on Bears fans for booing them in the opener of the season and he called it unacceptable. And we were like, well, you know, play better. And mm. he was saying, but it's just, it doesn't help, you know, Mitch Trubisky's human and it, it's counterproductive. So I, I understood the point he was making. Do you think that you see that in terms of ten, the guys tense up and the, the play actually gets worse as a result of how the fans act?
1: Absolutely. I mean, think of what we draw into from fans is the energy, you know, when they're cheering you, they're supporting you. That's, you know, that's the one thing that elevates a squad to greatness. Um, when they're rooting against you, when you see people like, you know, anxiously looking at you to, to, to fix things, you know, that's pressure that mounts, you know, um, those that have the unbelievable amount of confidence just kind of departmentalize those things and mark, chalk it up as white noise, don't really pay that much attention to it, but a lot of us, we absorb that stuff. We feel it, you know, so, you know, the adoration and the love of the fans is something that drives a lot of players and has a lot of teams to success, and when it's, when it's something that you have to deal with, man, it's just, it's just something that you don't want to deal with because you've got another team to worry about, let alone not living up to expectations.
0: You mentioned you heard it in Atlanta today. They're probably the team through four weeks that I've been the most wrong on. I thought that they were a legitimate Super Bowl contender this year. What do you think's wrong with the Falcons?
1: That's a great question. Um, I just don't think that people feel the same defensive identity that this team once had when Dan Quinn first got there. You know, there was a level of excitement um, that Falcons fans had knowing that the the identity of toughness was supposed to be permeating through this team, much like the defenses that Dan Quinn coached in Seattle. Well, we get to see that happen consistently anyway. You know, they do have the ability to run the football. Obviously, have one of the more talented receiving cores in the NFL. But when you can't play on that side of the football and get off the field on third down, you know, get good stops, get turnovers. Fly around, you know, wreak havoc, you know, give quarterbacks time, and they'll beat you. So essentially, we're just not saying, I'm not blaming it all on the defense. Because I do think that there's an inability also to be able to run the football effectively and consistently. You know, that allows you to convert third down, stay on the football field, lean on the defense. And when you're not able to do those basic you know, fundamentals, like run the football and play stout defense, you're in a world of hurt, man.
0: We're talking to Brad Hopkins, former tackle for the Oilers and Titans. You hear him over at Sirius NFL radio. You talk about the fundamentals of running the football. It feels like it's harder for teams to, you know, ice out wins, go into that four minute offense and grind out the clock. What do you attribute the, if I could generalize here, because clearly the Browns didn't have a problem with it, but like if I could generalize the, the struggle with running the football in today's NFL.
1: Well, first off, running the football involves all 10. I say 10 because usually quarterbacks don't have anything to do other than handing the football off. But receivers need to block. Tight ends need to block. You know, um, of course, all the big bodies up front need to block, more so than anybody else. It does start, and I'm not trying to sound narcissistic because I'm a former offensive lineman. It starts with the big bodies up front. And, and that actually is predicated by the time that these guys have together, Danny. You know what I mean? Creating that... that, that, that that cohesion that we keep talking about, the chemistry, the energy that, that a unit that's played for a long time together can can put on the football field. That's confidence. When you know that you've got five bodyguards up front that are making caverns up front, that are protecting the quarterback and giving him time to throw the football, that's when you're really in control, winning the line of scrimmage. And, and if it's not happening, well, you definitely feel the effects.
0: What's a team that you enjoy watching run the football in terms of their commitment to that style of play?
1: Hmm. Well, you know, we've seen – it sounds like long-hanging fruit, but Derrick Henry is one of those backs that I was used to block for. You know what I mean? I like guys with two names,
0: Derrick Henry. Eddie, Eddie George.
1: George. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of fits, you know?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but I also, you know, love guys like Galvin Cook. You know, I love um, – even, you know, one of my favorite guys right now is – um is um, uh, Philip Lindsay from the from the Broncos. I mean, he's he is small in stature, but this guy's got a tremendous heart, and he runs tough. So even though the Broncos might not be known for their run game, I love the combo of Royce and and uh, Philip Lindsay to really give, give at least Joe Flacco some options. Now they had it in the bag today. You know, had the Jags down by twenty points, and that was without one of their best defensive players on the sideline nursing a back injury. But for the most part, you know, we saw that team show some balance and show some playmaking ability. Emmanuel Sanders had a tremendous afternoon. Joe Flacco showed poise in the pocket like a veteran would. Um, but I do like watching the Broncos run the football. We saw Bob Miller get on the, the sack board for the first time this year. So even though they didn't necessarily win the game and it sucks to lose a mile high in your own turf, you know, I thought that they put on an admirable performance that, you know, that at least should garner some respect in the league.
0: We're talking to Brad Hopkins, former tackle in the NFL. He works over at Sirius NFL radio does a great job. One of the things I'm talking about on the show tonight is I think there's been a changing of the guard in terms of best defensive player in the NFL, Aaron Donald's amazing. And I think it's been him for the last few years. The ability to generate pressure from an interior defensive lineman is unprecedented, but I'm here in Chicago. it honestly seems like Khalil Mack is playing perfect defensive football. Who do you think is the best defensive player in the league? Well,
1: and and Sue scored a touchdown today, so do you forget about him? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he's Absolutely. he's good, but you know, I, I think yeah. he's
0: probably might be a little past.
1: I know. Well, did Clowney also got a pick six of uh, Kyler Murray today, which is pretty exceptional. Um, yeah, but but I like I like I can't deny your your you know Khalil Mack, but he's been what defensive player of the year before, so to me that's long in. The guy just flat out gets it done. You know, it obviously makes you even question the franchise's decisions when you deal away good players like that. But, you know, I'm also looking at guys like Miles Garrett. You know, I'm looking at guys that can't be blocked one-on-one, that basically make offensive coordinators have to scheme for your presence on the football field. And Khalil Mack is definitely one of those guys. Difference maker on that defense, um, complete package, basically. Can rush the passer, can cover, can do a lot of different things. So, you know, there are a lot of good performances that we saw today, too. Khalil Mack's one of them. I'll give you that.
0: What is, uh, What was the toughest, the, the tougher style for you to block? Like, were you, you know, a guy like Khalil Mack who will bull rush you, a guy like Von Miller who can dip and, and go around? What, what's the toughest assignment for a tackle?
1: Mm. The, the reason why that's a good question is because I played the game with speed as my advantage. You know, I was a smaller tackle, an athletic tackle, which meant that I could probably shadow a lot of the moves defensive linemen were going to do, you know, could match their speed as well. But those guys that were tended to be shorter than me that could dip, turn the corner fast, or do spin moves like Dwight Freeney without any sort of hesitation, those guys are harder to block. Now, these athletes that they're putting on the edges now, like you just mentioned, you know, Khalil Vaughn, you know, those, those seriously, the Bosa boys, you know, those edge rushers that can collapse pockets from the outside, you know, that's, you know, those are difference-making caps. But for me, if you can get your hands on them early and slow down that momentum, you know, that's one thing that helps. But you've got to be a fast guy to be able to get out of your stance, get up to where they are, and, you know, basically settle down and get yourself in a position where you can take on their next move. And not a lot of tackles can do that. So, in my opinion, if you can get to a guy fast enough before you, A, builds up speed or builds up enough inertia, to knock your head off, you know what I'm saying. those are the advantages that a, that a smart pass tackle would use.
0: Another offensive line question for you. I love watching Deshaun Watson play football, but I'm worried that he's going to get mm. killed playing for the Texans. He got sacked six times today and hit 10 in the game, and that's become the norm. Is that an offensive line that has enough talent to improve and start protecting him, or is this going to be a season-long issue?
1: Mm. It's, it's going to be a work in progress. I mean, obviously, they made a huge trade for, um for, uh, whose name is. Yeah, Larry, Larry Tunsell. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't guarantee that immediately he's going to be able to come in there and perform at a level that a comfortable, you know, consistent guy in that offense would be able to do. Now, time is not a luxury that they have. But that's the only thing that's going to help this unit.
0: And, you know, if they're
1: not careful, Andrew Luck will be calling up Deshaun Watson on line one. Hey, dude. <laughs> This is, this is going to go on for a while. You might want to start thinking about some things. You know what I'm saying? Either get to where there's a good offensive line or start, you know, saving your chips because your career is, your, your career is going to end early. I mean, if you think about it, that's what Jim Irsay was saying about Andrew Luck all along. If we get guys to protect this guy, this dude is a, a franchise difference-making quarterback that can take us to Super Bowl, and they're right. Same thing with Deshaun Watson. He's got time, and we know with his dual threat abilities, the guy can, you know, can put a, most defenses in a pickle. But if he doesn't have time to throw, if they're consistently in his face, when we'll he's getting a snap, if you got to run around trying to make things happen outside the pocket where the most dangerous suspects happen. and they continue to do those things and not find a way to protect him consistently, they won't have him for very long.
0: Last line of questioning with Brad Hopkins, you can hear on Sirius NFL Radio, former tackle for the Oilers and Titans, made the Pro Bowl a couple of times. I I'm amazed at the level of success and productivity that young starting quarterbacks are able to have. like In in your era, you're a rookie. You're sitting for a year or two, and then when you play, you're struggling for a year or two or three the majority of the time. Clearly, there were exceptions. What do you think the biggest factors are that are leading to guys being so productive so early?
1: Because of the level of expectation put on these young guys, especially draft picks that are taken high in the draft, they're expected to see the field sooner. And how do you put them on the field sooner? Make sure that they're ready to go by putting them in situations that they're familiar with. You know, So I think that when you take a guy high in a draft, you understand that his system, first off fits most of what you have. And you cater the system and the learning curve to what he's able to absorb. You know, So if you've got a running quarterback, then you best have a running style offense. Your RPO better be a part of what you do on a regular basis to put him in familiar situations so he doesn't have to think as much. You know what I mean? Those days of, this is the offense we run. We'll take the best player available and hope he fits. Nah, it doesn't work that way. Because we've seen tons of guys that get drafted into different systems that they know nothing about. And it's just too much difficult, you know, um, things for them to understand to be able to be consistent and be effective like they like they want to be and like they're usually are. You know, so now it's like these coordinators and head coaches and whatnot to see what a guy's abilities are. And they try and find this style that makes him feel comfortable. You know, do some of the things that he, working on his strengths. Of course, obviously you have to work on your weaknesses, but, you know, but pretty much predicating what you do to this, the skill set that this guy brings to the table. Therefore, as a young player, that transition doesn't seem to be as hard. Replicating the speed of the game is almost impossible. But at least you can put him in some familiar situations to where, you know, the things that he's doing on the football field at an earlier age don't seem as foreign to him and he can make
0: his adjustments. Brad Hopkins here I'm on Sirius NFL Radio. I appreciate the time, man. I enjoyed it.
1: Anytime, Dan. Talk to you soon,
0: buddy. Yeah, we will. I uh, I enjoyed that. That's Brad Hopkins from Sirius NFL Radio. Appreciate his time. First time we've had him on the show. Interesting stuff there about week four in the NFL. Coming up next, couple of spots with quarterback controversies. One brewing here in Chicago how you handle it, and where you go from here, both publicly and what I'd imagine is being said privately. Plus, we open the phones, 855-212-4CBS. is the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.